0: And then um, God sent this big um, whale. So he got swallowed over a big fish. He stayed inside there for three days and three nights. For three whole days. I think Jonah was scared inside the giant fish. See, dead with his bones. <laughs> and then he prayed to get out. And then the whale, or fish, Um, Spit Jonah out and Jonah went to Nineveh. Well, we are continuing our journey through the story of Jonah, and one of the great things about the story of Jonah is that it takes really abstract, broad things and helps to put those cookies on a lower shelf that we might enjoy them and be able to understand them. So a concept like sin, which might be hard to understand, according to the book of Jonah, is sin is running away from God, and then therefore the concept of grace is the fact that God chases after us. And in this image here, you might have brought with you the notion of that this is what it is like for God to chase after you. But God is not chasing us, we learn in the book of Jonah, in order to make us to pay what we owe. Instead, God is chasing us in order to give us what we could never afford. And therefore, God will use any means necessary in order to reclaim his lost children. In fact, God goes as far as to reclaim Jonah with this image here by swallowing up. The, what Jonah thought would be the instrument of his destruction, the sea monster, actually becomes the vehicle of his salvation and this is what draws us to the cross that which we thought was the instrument of destruction and the cross actually ends up becoming the instrument of our salvation now we've learned if you've been with us on this journey and then in this review that Jonah in Hebrew doesn't mean fish it means what it means dove and so that was how we take attendance on how many of you were here the previous weeks so this is what uh, Jonah means in Hebrew And so Jonah is sent out, Jonah, the only named character in the entire book, is sent out to be God's instrument of peace and justice and reconciliation in the world. And yet Jonah the dove is flying in the wrong direction, and we find out he is on a crash and burn trajectory. And so he goes lower and lower and lower, and there is no distance that God will not go. There is no depth to which he will not reach in order to be able to reclaim us as his children. And so what we're going to learn is that we're going to have a little break in the narrative. In chapter 1, we learn that God will meet us anywhere and will chase us anywhere. In chapter 2, there's a break in the story for us to be able to have a sneak peek into Jonah's inner life. We get to hear one of Jonah's prayers, and that's what we're going to look at today. And so this is a prayer that comes from the belly of the beast. It's a prayer that is offered at the end of your rope. And I want you to notice a couple of things about this prayer before we read it. One, believe it or not, this prayer is not a cry for help as much as it is a prayer of thanksgiving. Can you imagine being in that much distress and you're offering your gratitude to God? The second thing I hope that you'll notice is is that in this text, they'll talk about the temple over and over again. And I need to translate that for you. Today, when we think of going to temple, we think of kind of like going to church. In Jonah's day and age, going to temple was about going into God's presence. So when you hear the temple, you can't just hear about a church building where the people are gathered. It's about meeting God. And then the third thing I want you to notice, most of all, is that Jonah doesn't just say this prayer, he sings it. In fact, it's not even a prayer that he himself has kind of made up from scratch. I want to show an image here up on the screen. Uh, Jonah uses 14 different psalms. Songs that he would have learned as a Hebrew child, songs that he would have learned singing them in synagogue, songs that he would have learned that were passed down from generation to generation of his people were a part of his lifelong education. All these different numbers represent the different psalms that Jonah references throughout the course of his prayer. In other words, he has a singing faith, and maybe you'll hear the echoes of the psalms as we read Jonah's prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, and yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Actually, people pay for that treatment in spas today, but this was something that was inflicted upon Jonah. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remember you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols... In a situation where you might expect you need kind of a Captain America rescue, instead Jonah's rescue comes through a bit of indigestion. And so in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the lowest, deepest pit that anybody could be in, Jonah prays. But he doesn't just pray with words, he sings the songs of our faith. There was a great study that was conducted out of Stanford University where they took groups of students, and these students thought they were being tested on their singing ability. They were in three different groups. In the first group, they were to sing a song that was somewhat familiar to them, but not one that they would probably know well. They were given the words, and the song was played over the loudspeaker. This was the control group, and they were to just sit there and kind of passively read the words and hear the song of the national anthem, O Canada, O Canada. That was group number one. Group number two had headphones on, and they were singing um, at different times and in different ways, at different tempos or different keys, Um, and they were each kind of individually, not just reading the words, but singing the words. And in the third group, they sang in unison together. Again, they all thought they were being tested on kind of their singing ability, and then you have the control group there. And then they didn't realize that there was a second experiment after the first, and it's pretty common to have multiple experiments because once you've kind of paid a group of students to be together, you want to keep them uh, doing multiple experiments, but these two experiments were actually tied together. And in the second experiment, they were testing people's ability to be generous and to be cooperative with one another. Did you know that the group of people that sang O Canada, O Canada together actually were more generous and more cooperative than the other groups? And it had nothing to do with the content of what they were singing or that that they wanted to rush to be socialists up in Canada or anything along those lines. It's that singing together changes us. It changes the way we think. It changes the way that we relate to one another. It changes the way that we behave. And if that is true for singing the Canadian National Anthem, how much more true of that is that we sing our faith. The great songs, the great hymns, the great praise choruses, when we sing those together, we can't help but be changed. In my last church in Southern California, I met this guy in the community and he said that he came to the church. I didn't really recognize him and I asked him, I said, well, what service do you kind of normally come to? And he says, I come to the 10 o'clock service. This was a little odd for me because we didn't have a 10 o'clock service. We had a 9.30 service and we had an 11 service. And he, with a little glimmer in his eye and with the corners of his mouth turned up, explained, he's like, you know what? I go to the 10 o'clock service. That means I skip all of that music stuff at the beginning and I show up just in time for your message. And he actually kind of meant this as kind of, you know, as someone who was very important and was very busy, he meant this as like a compliment. Like, I take time out of my busy schedule to come in here and you preach because I get something out of it. And you just got to know, my, as a pastor, my heart just sank to the bottom of my feet. Because you know what we do in this room up to the point of the message is not just preamble. What the choir offers and what you and lifting your voices, we're not just filling time till the message. Here's the sad fact. You are going to forget, and I know this is depressing for me as a preacher, you are going to forget most of what I said. It's just true. I mean, some of you can't even remember what I said last week. (laughs) Sometimes I can't remember what I said last week. You're gonna forget most of what I say, but you know what you're not gonna forget? You're not gonna forget the great songs that you've sang over and over and over again. The singing part of our faith gets to that deep part of our core. A couple of years ago, um, I had to go through an emergency uh, double hernia operation uh, the reason it was a double hernia operation is that I'm German and I'm cheap, and I wanted to get kind of a group discount for um, not just fixing one hernia, but for fixing another one. And if you've ever been through a procedure like something like that before, you you realize that I mean they strip you of everything, right? I mean you put on a hospital gown, which is you know not usually very modest. And, you know, you usually have all of your stuff with you when you go about your daily life, but they take your cell phone away from you, and so you can't play on your cell phone. And then they took my my contacts out of my eyes and wouldn't give me my glasses, so now I can't even see very well. And it even got to the point when I'm lying there on kind of the hospital bed that they uh, they took my wedding band from me. And the nurse uh, at the clinic well, you know, took it, and she said, I'm not going to put this in your bag. This is obviously valuable. It, you know, your wife is probably in the waiting room. Describe her for me, and I'll go take your wedding band um, to your wife. And I said, well, she's the one that's drop-dead gorgeous, of course. And she smiled, and she looked at me, and she said, that was really smooth. Are you in sales? And I said, as a pastor, yes, matter of the fact, I am in sales. But so, I don't have my wedding band, I don't have my glasses or contacts, I don't have my phone, and in that moment, what do you have when everything's been taken away from you? And do you know what I did in those moments when I had to wait for the surgery to begin? I just allowed the great songs of our faith to wash over me. In Christ alone, my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest droughts and storms. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when strivings cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. The songs, the hymns, just washing over me. This is what happens to Jonah when he is swallowed up in the belly of the fish, the sea monster. When he's at his lowest point, he sings in the dark, and he sings a prayer that he's pieced together from all the fragments of what he remembers from what he used to sing from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. We have a singing faith and singing together is one of the most important things that we do with our prayers. When you're in those moments, when you're in the midst of the darkness, you find out what's really important to you. Those are very clarifying moments as it was for Jonah, as it is for us. And the pinnacle kind of revelation or aha of Jonah's prayer is what it happens in verse 8. If you have your own Bible, I'd love for you to underline it. This is what it says. It says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. When you're in the midst of the darkness, one of the things that you'll find out, and I want to ask you this question, what are you clinging to? What are you holding on to for dear life? Are you clinging to security? Are you clinging to success or accomplishment? Are you clinging on to control? Are you clinging on to adrenaline and adventure? What are you holding on to so desperately you don't want to let it go? And is what you're holding on to? What really matters. I want to show you a short video clip that uh, I witnessed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, originally, I saw this on the Weather Channel. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen here. I'll walk you through this. This is this, this little girl somewhere in the Midwest. She's on a wintry day coming home. She's unsuspecting, about to open the door, and wee! <laughs> Boom. I mean, look at this. <laughs> I mean, she goes, I mean, people pay for that kind of stuff at Disneyland. And so I thought this was hysterical. And then I noticed that not only does she grab a hold of the door, but look at that. She is holding on to that cell phone for dear life. She is not going to let that cell phone go. She's clinging on to it. You don't cling to your cell phone, do you? You don't have a prayerful pose when you look at it, do you? It was just a couple of weeks ago that I read an article where Pope Francis asked this provocative question. He said, what if we treated our Bible the same way we treated our mobile phones? What if we referred to it several times throughout the course of the day? What if we left the house without it, we would panic and go back and get it? What you cling to reveals a great deal about your priorities and who you really are, and sometimes when you're in the moment of the darkness, when sometimes you're in the belly of the beast, those are those moments when you find out not only what songs are in the soundtrack of your mind, but also what you're ultimately clinging to in life as well as in death. There's a story I remember hearing a long time ago about how they used to try to capture monkeys in the jungle. And what they would do is, and maybe you've heard this story, they would empty out kind of a coconut and they would put something, they would make the hole just the right size and they would put something in the coconut that the monkey really wanted. So the monkey could reach its hand inside the coconut and it could grab a hold of what was in the coconut. But then in holding on to that item, it couldn't pull its hand back out without letting go. And because of that, the people who were trying to trap the monkey were able to capture it. That monkey was choosing to cling onto what was in that coconut more than it valued its freedom. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that monkey. And sometimes, I'm holding on to things so tightly that I trade what I'm holding on to for something that's of a much greater value. The way that Jonah describes it is is that those who cling to worthless or empty idols, and then there's this next word that says to forsake, to leave behind, to forfeit God's love for them. Each and every day, God's love is available to you and to me. And the question is, are we available to that love? And what we're clinging on to, that's what reveals what we really care about. A couple of weeks ago, Jay and I got to go down to visit some of our ministry partners in Guatemala and Costa Rica. Costa Rica, look at this image here. This is the town above the town where we got to go. Um, It's called Frejanas. And it's, I mean, they consider Costa Rica the Switzerland of Central America. The natural beauty is unbelievable. But it's also an emerging culture and community. And there are several struggles and problems that they wrestle with there. Pastor Roy, up on the screen here, is who we got to visit in our ministry partnership, and Pastor Roy leads a fantastic community of faith that is engaged in meeting the needs of its community, and he told me the story of how their church started. He said he moved to this new community, and he was so excited to start a church. He only knew, like, he only had a couple of family members. There were only four of them in this church that he wanted to start. And so he went to a prominent member of that community and asked this prominent member of the community, "Say, hey, are there any needs in this community that, that we could meet in order to try to help to love, to wrap our arms around this community? And with a straight face, the prominent member of that kind of township said, absolutely, uh, there's a need here. The need is that if you look at our streams and kind of waterways that are through here, you'll notice there's a whole bunch of trash in them. So why don't you consider picking up the trash and putting it in bags? And then again, with a straight face, he said, and after you're done putting all the trash in the bags, put yourself in the bags because that's what you are. You're not wanted here. You're not needed here. You're just a bunch of trash. At first, Pastor Roy said he was incredibly offended by that for under, under very understandable reasons. But then what he started to realize was he said, I was clinging on to my pride, that here I was, I was going to come start a successful church in this area and... I realized that while he wasn't intending to, that that man was speaking the truth of God. And so you know how they started their church? They started by picking up trash. And everybody in the church today still picks up trash. It's a remarkable thing to think about our partnership with Pastor Roy began. We were in a very different part of the country, and yet there was a part of his church that was in that community, and we noticed that there were these groups of people that were just, through common grace, just cleaning up a community. That's how we got into partnership with Pastor Roy. And later, Pastor Roy, in reflecting on kind of the start of his church, reminded me of this scripture. It says this, Whatever gains to me, I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them what? Garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Reality is so much of what we cling to in this life is just a bunch of garbage in comparison to the eternal, incredible gospel that our God has in store for us. And so what you sing in the soundtrack of your mind and your heart as we sing together helps to reveal what you really are. What you cling to is very revealing about who you really see yourself to be in Almighty God. And then finally, your giving reveals who you really are. For Jonah, he ends his prayer like this. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you And what I have vowed I will make good, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah finally gets to a place where he knows that he can't earn it on his own. And out of a spirit of gratitude, he now comes to a place in his worship where he is willing to make sacrifice. He is willing to give. He's willing to become an offering. And so what we do when we take up an offering and we focus on our ministry and mission partners, the reason we do this is not just to be able to send out little blessings in our community and around the world. It's so that we might be changed in the process, that we might discover along with Jonah that salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. But while we're trying to cling to everything on our own, we'll never experience it because in clinging to the wrong things, we forfeit what God makes available to us. And so our invitation to the community of Peachtree is for us to respond by singing together by clinging to the very nature of the gospel more than anything else, and by giving generously and exclaiming to a world that desperately needs to hear it with shouts of praises that salvation comes from the Lord. Let's pray together. Our loving God and Father, we are so grateful, grateful that you chase after us not to make us pay what we owe, but what we can't even afford. And we thank you, God, that you'll use any means necessary to be able to find us and to pull us out of the depths. And so I pray, God, that you will meet each person in their lowest, darkest place. And in those places where we think that our lives might be destroyed, that we might find that in those places our lives are saved. And so just as you rescued Jonah... Rescue us. Help us to be filled with thanksgiving. Help us to sing and to lift up our voices, God. Help us to join together and to making the belly of the beast a sanctuary. And so, God, unite our hearts and our minds together. Help us not to cling to what we have, but instead to what we offer, or you offer to us, and we now return with thanks to you.